Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Christmas at Cedar Creek Church. I am so glad that you've joined us today because I know just how busy life can get this time of year. Presents to be bought, parties to be attended, to-do list things to be checked off over the next nine days. So I really appreciate you making the effort, making it a priority to be here this morning. And my hope, my prayer is that our time together will encourage you, but will also challenge you to take a next step of faith in your journey back to God. Before we get started this morning, I I want to share something that I'm excited about. I want to share it because I hope it encourages you. But let me preface it to say it's important to always remember that when we talk about these wins, these amazing things that God is doing in and through our church, that the glory belongs to Him. This isn't about me, this isn't about our church, this isn't about the name of Cedar Creek Church. This is about the name of Jesus and Him alone. But can I tell you, Jesus is doing some amazing things right here through each and every one of you. I I asked you last week to be praying about this vision that God has given to draw all of the pastors in our community together just to pray and support and encourage and love on one another. Those invitations went out in the middle of this week and already we've had pastors responding, not just saying, yes, I'll be there, but excited about being a part of this. I believe this has the power through Jesus to transform our community. So keep praying about that. Keep praying for that that Jesus would keep moving among the leaders of all of the churches in our community. I also just want to share with you today, at all of our campuses, we will be voting on our 2019 vision plan budget. This is our plan that we believe God has inspired for how we will invest his money in the upcoming year. And I'm super excited about this year's vision plan budget because we are continuing as a church in this out of the church focus, this outward focus beyond the walls of our church. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the average evangelical church in America typically gives about four to five percent of their annual budget to meet needs outside of the church. Well, let me just tell you, this year, as in years past, our 2019 budget is to give 18% of our budget to meet needs of people outside the church, in our community, and all around the world. That's four to- more than four times the average. Here's why that matters, right? It's not about us. Here's why that matters. Because God, through Jesus, transforms lives with the hope of the gospel. Just one quick story. A little over a year ago, a family in our church, Steve and Angel, began to feel God's tug on their heart to get out of their comfort zone, to go outside the walls of the church to serve Him. And because of our church's emphasis on outwardly focusing 
of meeting the needs of people that we may never meet or that may never come to our church. And because Steve's career was in law enforcement and as an investigator, and because our church has focused over the last few years on the issue of human trafficking, he began to reach out to a global organization called International Justice Mission, a global faith-based organization that is on the front lines of fighting human trafficking all around the world. And so Steve has taken a job with them all the way in Ghana, West Africa. He went over first, and then Angel and her son went over a little bit later. I got a letter just a week or so ago from uh, Steve's supervisor with IJM wanting me, and more importantly, wanting you, their church family, to know how God is working through them. Of course, being Cedar Creekers, you can guess one of the first things they did when they got over there was form a little home group. Begin to gather with other staff members and families with IJM, and they join us online most Sundays. We call them Cedar Creek, our safari campus, and they're joining us this morning, I'm sure. Um, Angel, because she had served for so many years in Kids Creek, along with some of the other ladies on staff over there, have been reaching out for years into their community, ministering to kids in their neighborhood. And she's been bringing some Cedar Creek stuff, Kids Creek stuff to that, and God is using that. But their boss also wanted us to know that in the few short months that Steve has been on the ground, working and investigating, 48 kids have been set free from captivity. 48 kids. And 28 traffickers have been arrested and are facing trial. And God willing, they will never harm another child again. That's what Jesus does. It's to his glory. That's who we serve. And that is what you are a part of. And I never want you to lose your connection between how you serve and give here and the way God uses it to win for the kingdom of God. So thank you, Cedar Creek Church. Now listen, I could talk about this stuff all day long. But if we're going to get through this message on peace, we better get started. So take out your message notes. You'll see we're continuing our focus this Christmas season on peace. Christmas is all about peace, right? The angel sang, peace on earth. Isaiah declared the birth of Jesus was literally the birth of the prince of peace. And yet as much as we sing about peace, as much as we celebrate peace this time of year, the truth is few of us actually experience that peace on a consistent basis in our daily lives. And one of the places we struggle to find peace in our lives is in our relationships. And in particular within our families, especially during the Christmas season, right? How many of you have extended family coming to stay with you at some point during the holidays? Would you raise your hand? How many of you will be spending time with extended family, maybe traveling to see them? Yeah, can I see your hands? How many of you would admit that you're not all that excited about it, 
right? Yeah, that's the truth. That, that's how the holidays can stir up stress in our family relationships. In fact, I would go so far to say is that Christmas is to our relationships what a match is to gasoline. And yet notice what the Bible tells us in Romans 12 there at the top of your outline. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, do what? What does that say? Live at peace with who? Yeah, I did some checking this week. That includes your extended family over the next nine days. But seriously, there's a couple of things I want you to notice about this verse. One, it is not always possible to live at peace with everybody. Amen? There are just some people, right? Because relationships are a two-way street. It takes two to tango. You can't always have peace in every relationship in your life. But before you just throw in the towel, close the door, and wash your hands of those relationships, you need to realize this verse is very clear that as followers of Jesus, we are commanded to do everything that we can do to have peace in our relationship. So this morning, that's what I want to talk about. Four practical things that every one of us can do to live at peace with others. Does that sound good? Does that sound relevant for any of you? Yeah, you might want to take some notes. Number one, to live at peace with others, the first thing I have to do is recognize and accept my limitations. I have to recognize and accept my limitations. We all have limitations, and most of us have a hard time accepting those limitations. But you need to understand that when we do that, it creates stress in our relationships. It is stressful to try to be everything that other people want you to be. And it's hard to do everything that other people expect you to do, especially for those of us that are Christ followers, right? Our lives are to be driven by love. We are to love everybody. We're to help everybody. We're to meet every need we see. And we're called to that. But can I tell you from personal experience, if you try to do that on your own, you'll end up stressed out and the people around you will end up disappointed in you. In fact, the same guy who tells us that we are to live at peace with everybody, wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from who? It's from God, not from us. You can't love your family on your own. You can't in your own strength fix every problem. Solve every issue of the people around you. In fact, we talked about this last week. Remember last week I said don't look for peace in other people. You can't find it there. When you expect from others what only Jesus can do for you, you're going to end up empty. Well, the flip side of that is true as well. You cannot give peace to the people around you. You cannot be Jesus. You are to be like Jesus, but you cannot be Jesus for the people around you. Let me tell you something. There is great peace for you in just simply recognizing you can't fix everybody. And you can't solve every problem. 
One of the reasons we're so stressed out in our relationships is we're trying to be Jesus to people instead of pointing people to Jesus. So let me help you with that this morning. Put down your pen, look up here, all of our campuses. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I do hereby resign as master and controller of the universe. I declare today that I am not the Messiah. You feel better already, don't you? Feel the relief after that? Now listen, listen. I'm not saying that you guys have a God complex. You don't. Some of you maybe, but most of you don't have a God complex. But you know what I think a bunch of us have? An if-only complex, right? Oh, if only I would have said this and not said that. If only I'd have done this or not done that. Or, Or if only I'd have loved them a little more or loved them a little differently, then maybe there wouldn't be all this tension in our relationship. And can I just tell you, that is not true. Have you made mistakes in your relationship? Yes. Have you done things you shouldn't have done? Have you not said all the things you should have said? Absolutely. Welcome to the human race. We're all broken and perfect people living in a broken and perfect world in relationship with other broken and imperfect people. And only Jesus can fix that, not us. And until we recognize our limitations and in doing so understand our complete and utter dependence on Jesus, only then will you ever have true peace in your relationships. In the three and a half months since our son Philip Jr. passed away, Terry and I have been connected and reached out to by dozens and dozens of truly hurting people. People with major life issues. Parents scared to death for their children. Folks struggling daily with addiction. Folks dealing with mental illness. Folks daily struggling with thoughts of suicide and self-harm. And they are bombarding us desperate for help. And let me tell you, there's nothing we have we can give to them. On our best day of of our lives, we could not fix what's going on with them, let alone in the middle of our own grief and pain. But we're not called to fix them. We're called to point them to Jesus and to connect them with the body of Christ, the church, to come alongside them. That's true for every one of us. We are not the Messiah. And once we learn that, it takes tons of stress out of our relationships. The reason you don't like being around some of those crazy relatives is because you always feel a little bit like it's your fault or you ought to do something or you ought to change something. It's not. It's all about Jesus. Number two, you think that's hard? Number two is even harder. To live at peace with others, I have to be willing to forgive others. Relationships need massive doses of forgiveness. And that's especially true in our families, right? Because nobody can hurt you like your family can. No wounds are deeper or take longer to heal than the wounds caused by the very people who were supposed to love and protect and take care of 
you. Those wounds are deep. I was reminded this week of that old saying from the 70s. I think it came out of the movie Love Story. It's that saying that love means never having to say you're sorry. How many of you remember that, old school people? Yeah. Dumbest words ever said, right? That's the opposite is true. If you love somebody, if your lives are intertwined in relationship, you better say you're sorry a lot because you're going to mess up. And you better be prepared to forgive because they're going to be sorry a lot for the things they've done to you. Now listen, I recognize for some of you this morning, this idea of forgiving that family member is more than you can stand. Just the thought of it overwhelms you. But I want you to understand this morning, I'm not minimizing the pain they caused you. I'm so sorry for your pain. And I'm not trying to minimize it, but I want you to experience peace. And I know peace only comes through forgiveness. Maybe the reason you're having a hard time forgiving the people who have hurt you is because you misunderstand what forgiveness is. And maybe more importantly, you don't truly understand where forgiveness comes from. Forgiving somebody is not saying that what they did to you is okay. Forgiving doesn't mean that it was no big deal. Forgiveness doesn't mean that they were right and you were wrong. Forgiveness has nothing to do with them at all. It has everything to do with you and your relationship with Jesus. Look at Ephesians 4:32. It says, "Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you." Forgiveness is based on your relationship with God, not whether or not that other person has earned it, whether they deserve it, or whether they have even bothered to ask for it. Forgiveness is releasing to God the pain that other people have caused me. Forgiveness is refusing to live the rest of my life chained to the very person who wounded me. In fact, in that verse in Ephesians, circle the phrase, just as. Do you understand what Paul is saying there? He's saying there's a direct connection between how God has forgiven you and how you can forgive others. Those things are linked together. So maybe, maybe the reason you're having a hard time forgiving the people who have hurt you is because you don't tr truly feel forgiven by God. You're still trying to earn His forgiveness. You're still trying to make up and fix the bad things that you did. And since you're holding yourself to that standard, you are naturally going to hold others to that standard. And until you fully receive, feel, rest in, and have confidence in God's forgiveness of you, you'll always struggle to forgive the people in your life. When it comes to the pain that other people have caused you, you only got two options. You can either release it to God and get better, or you can hold on to it, keep nursing and rehearsing it, but I promise you that will ultimately lead to bitterness 
And it will damage the relationships of people around you that had nothing to do with that pain. Now, anytime I talk about forgiveness, I always want to make sure I'm being very clear. Don't misunderstand this. There is a huge difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. They are not the same thing. Forgiveness is immediate. It's releasing to God. It has nothing to do with them. Reconciliation takes two. It takes work. Trust has to be earned. As Christ followers, we forgive the people who hurt us, but we don't lay down like a doormat and continue to allow them to abuse and hurt us. That doesn't honor God. God is a God of justice. And so being reconciled, we always hold the door open, but they have to choose to walk through it. If you really want peace in your relationships, you got to be willing to forgive. So can I just ask you, who you've been thinking about the last three or four minutes? Whose face, whose name, what memory are you still holding on to? I want to beg you this morning, in love for you, release it to God. Forgive. Unchain yourself and find the freedom that the Prince of Peace brings for every one of us. Number three, the third thing I have to do to live at peace with others is I have to change the way I think. Change the way I think. Most of us are like, no, Philip, they need to change the way they think. But here's the thing. If you want to change the dynamics in your relationships, especially the relationships in your family, you got to change the way you think. Understand, the holidays don't create issues in our family relationships. The holidays just squeeze those issues to the surface. Because during the holidays, emotions and issues that we're able to keep at bay all year tend to bubble to the surface. The reason we have those issues in our family relationships is because we are stuck in unhealthy patterns of relating to the people closest to us. And we keep relating to them and them to us in the same way over and over, and somehow magically we expect the results to be different. By the way, that is the very definition of insanity, right? Doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. And so we do that. you got to change the way you think. That's the only way you'll change those patterns of relating. In fact, Romans 12, too, very clear. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Change your life. Change your relationships by the renewing of your mind. you got to change the way you think. Easy to say. Easy to talk about. Easy to write it down sitting in here, but out on the street, in your home over the next nine days, one of the hardest things you will ever do. Why is it so hard to change our stinking thinking? Well, I believe a big part of it is emotions have a tendency to control our lives. And see, emotions, they bypass the brain. They come right out of what we feel. And we make decisions and interact with each other based on how we feel, not logical truth. Let me give you some advice. 
Don't follow your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceptive. It's wicked. It'll lead you down the wrong path. Don't live your life driven by how you feel. It will lead you to the wrong place. Live your life based on what is true. The good news is when it comes to changing your stinking thinking, you don't have to do this alone. God has given us wonderful resources to help us change those patterns of thinking and behaving. Three of them. One, God's Spirit. God's Spirit can help you renew your mind. The Bible says when you become a follower of Jesus, God places the full measure of His Spirit's presence in you. Now that doesn't mean you become possessed to do all good things. God doesn't turn you into a puppet. You still have choices and decisions that you have to make, but you have that still, small voice inside of you. Don't let your emotions and how you feel keep you from hearing God's voice through His Spirit guiding you in how you think. Allow God's Spirit in you to nudge you. Hear that nudge. Feel that nudge. Respond to that nudge. Secondly, God not only gives us His Spirit, but He also gives us His Word. God's Word. The the truth and principles in God's Word don't change no matter how I feel. And can I just tell you, I am so thankful right now to be able to anchor my life to these unchanging truths because I don't feel like God is close. I don't feel like God loves me. I don't feel like God has a, a purpose and a plan for my pain. I don't feel that. It doesn't make sense to me in my broken heart but I can cling to God's word and know that he loves me even when I can't see it. That he's moving and working and bringing good out of the brokenness even when I don't feel it. That's how you change your mind. That's how you stop living on your emotions. And then third, God gives us his family. That's a great resource for thinking differently. Because in our relationships, especially relationships in our family, it's so emotional. We feel everything in those relationships so deeply that the fog of how we feel keeps us from seeing the truth about them and maybe more importantly, the truth about ourselves. And the gift of a family in Christ, the body of Christ, of being connected and doing life with others is because they are removed from the emotions of the moment and they can see what we not, cannot see. And they can come alongside and put their arm around us and say, Philip, I know what you're thinking, but you might be wrong. You might have the wrong attitude. And I can't feel that and see that. God gives us these gifts, these resources, so we can renew, change, think differently. You can't find peace in your relationships by changing the people you're in relationship with, but you can find it by changing the way you think. And then finally, number four, the fourth thing we need to live at peace with others is we got you got to be willing to let God love you. 
This one might be the most important one of all. In fact, put a star by number four there. Let God love you. This is critical. You know why? Because you can't give away what you don't have. And until you let God truly love you, you will never be able to truly love the people around you. You know, I said earlier, there's a direct connection between recognizing that God has forgiven you and your ability to forgive others. Same thing is true about love. The more you understand and truly know and feel and experience personally God's love for you, only then will you have the security to love the people around you, especially the people that are hardest to love. The Bible's really clear about this in 1 John chapter 4. Check it out. It says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. We love because he first loved us. You understand that? In fact, let's go a little deeper. Circle the word know and the word rely. Circle those there. Know and rely. Because see, the more you know God's love, and by the way, the Greek word there for know doesn't mean intellectual knowledge about. It's not knowing about God's love. It's intimately experiencing that love. And the more you truly know God's love and the more you rely on it, the more you find your security in how God loves you, the more you can love the people that God has placed in your life. You know, one of the most interesting conversations, at least in my opinion, that Jesus had during his earthly ministry was that conversation he had with Peter on a beach having fish for breakfast. You remember it was after the crucifixion and the resurrection, and Peter, under pressure, had denied that he even knew who Jesus was. Three times he denied Jesus. And so as Jesus is restoring him, sitting on that beach, you remember Jesus asked him one question three times, right? Peter, do you what? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Then tend to my flock. Did you notice not once did Jesus ask Peter if he loved the sheep, the people around him? He only asked, do you love me? Why? Because the sheep, the people don't matter? No, because Jesus knew the more that Peter loved him, the more that love would flow over into the people around him. And that's true for every one of us. So can I ask you, do you know Jesus' love? Do you know that God loves you? What do you think God is like? What is your picture of God? Because I'm pretty sure some of you think he's like an unpleasable father who's sitting up in heaven just looking and keeping score of all your mistakes. Some of you are working so hard to try to earn that love because you think you have to earn it. What is God's love like? Jesus described it as a wealthy man who had two sons. 
And the younger son, in an act of pure self-absorption, took his part of the inheritance, half of the old man's money, and he bolted and he spent every dime of that money living his life in a way that completely dishonored the father. The life he was living, spending the old man's money, was spitting in the father's face. And it's only when the money ran out, not before, it's only when he was broke and had no other options and hit rock bottom. That's the only time he got up and headed for home. And do you remember how the father responded when he saw the son coming home? He didn't stand on the porch and cross his hands and say, oh, we'll see. He didn't hold him at arm's length and say, we'll see if you can earn back and even the score and earn back the money that you blew. We'll see if you truly respect me by your behavior. No, the father ran to the son and he wrapped him up in his filthy, filthy clothes and he put a robe on him and he put a ring on his finger and said, welcome home, son. That's how God loves you. And until you receive and rest in that love, you'll never love others that way. The reason I know that's how God loves us is not because Jesus told a story. It's because Jesus hung on a cross and said, this is how much I love you. This is how far I'm willing to go not to be separated from you through all eternity. And until you experience the peace of being loved like that, you'll never have peace with the ones you love. So let's pray. Let's ask God to do that right now. Father, thank you. We are overwhelmed by that reality. And some of us here today just don't think it's true. Even though the Bible is clear our own heart, our own sin, our enemy Satan tries to keep telling us we got to work, we got to earn it. And we keep holding those expectations of the people around us that they got to perform to be loved by us. Oh, Father, would you break that chain in our lives? Would you break that lie from Satan and free us today to know and rely on your love. Maybe you're here today and you've never received it. Just cry out to Jesus. Receive the forgiveness that his death on the cross provided. And let your father run to you and wrap you up. You don't have to clean it up. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to put your life back together and then bring it to God and say, look at what I did. You just need to come home to the Father and let him love you so you can love others. Father, move in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.